Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's 1968, summer vacation Bible school. The big blue church bus drove around the neighborhood and took children to the Strongsville First Baptist Church. We made pencil holders out of soup cans, sang songs like nothing but the blood of Jesus, and learned about Sodom and Gomorrah. We thought it was pretty cool that Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. My father's brother, Uncle Ramine, was the pastor. To be a pastor in the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Church, the IFB, one needs no education. Uncle Ramine was a fuller brush salesman who hated sin, loved the Lord, and got a message from God to start a church. It's the last day of vacation Bible school. 20 children, mostly ages six to eight, sit on hard metal chairs in the church basement. Uncle Ramine stood in front and spoke in his powerful bass voice. Raise your hand if you've ever been disobedient to your parents. Raise your hand if you've ever been selfish and not shared. Raise your hand if you've ever taken something that did not belong to you. That is sin. And I want to have a very serious talk with you about sin today. God hates sin. He made a place for people who sin. It's called hell. Hell is a terrible place. In hell, people burn like garbage. The hot flames and the fire never, ever stops. When children go to hell, they burn. There's no water. And they never see their mommies and daddies again. But you don't have to go to hell. Jesus made a way out. He died on the cross for your sins. We're going to pray together. I want everyone to close your eyes. And if you'd like to accept Jesus as your savior, just raise your hand and he'll come into your heart. You can be born again and go to heaven to be with Jesus. I was no fool. I knew a good deal when I saw it. And so I raised my hand. Poof, like that. I was born again, which came with a lifetime guarantee of fire insurance. When my Sunday school teacher told me I was going to be baptized, I didn't know what she meant. She took me to a room, gave me a white robe to put on, and instructed me to climb down a set of steps. There at the bottom, waiting in a large tub filled with three feet of water, was Uncle Ramine. Cheryl, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Yes. Then he held my back, cupped his hand over my mouth, dunked me under the water, ruined my hair, and it was official. I was completely born again. 
a year later, my father filed for divorce. He was having an affair with a woman at work. My mother received a letter saying that her name and the names of her children were being stricken from the rolls, excommunicated because divorce is forbidden. My father got to stay because it was his brother's church and because everyone knew it was my mother's fault. Had she been a better wife, he wouldn't have strayed. It's 1969. My mother, my sisters, and I are now attending Midview First Baptist Church. It was founded by Pastor Lauren Schenk, a farmer with no formal education who hated sin, loved the Lord, and got a message from God to start a church. It was here that I spent my formative years. The IFB is listed as a cult, not the kind with Kool-Aid, but members are under total control of the pastor who tells you how to discipline your children, what job you can take, where you can go on vacation, how much money to give. Every aspect of members' lives is controlled by the pastor. We were in church five days a week, listening to Pastor Shank shouting, face red with rage, beating the pulpit, brainwashing us into unquestioning acceptance of his interpretation of the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is a Bible-believing church. The King James Bible is the inerrant, perfect word of God. If there's even one mistake, it's all a lie. God isn't God and you can live however you want because in the end, none of it matters. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. No radio, no television, no movies, no magazines, no drums, no dancing, no parties, no school activities. Our focus was to be on the Lord. Dress codes for women were strictly enforced. No makeup, no nail polish, no pierced ears, no jewelry. Dresses were to be modest, below the knee and up to the neck. Men were required to have short hair above the collar. Beards were not allowed. Only plain colored, dark suits and ties could be worn. Plaids were not permitted. Those who didn't follow the rules were called to task. Their salvation was in question. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Know ye not that your righteousness is as filthy rags? Sin is fun. And let me tell you, if you haven't been born again, go out and do it all now. Sin as much as you can, because in this life, it's all you get and hell awaits you. We learned a lot about hell. Hell was a frequent sermon topic. Sin had to be punished. In hell, there are no exits, no second chances. People pray in hell, but no one answers because it's too late. There is no hope. The howling is perpetual. The flame is not quenched and the pain unimaginable. A lot of people are going to die and go to hell because they're counting on their good works instead of their relationship with Jesus to get them into heaven.
They give lip service, but they've never been truly born again. We lived in terror of the rapture. Christians would be taken up into the sky to be with Jesus, leaving the rest of us to go through the great tribulation period. In the great tribulation period, we go through seven years during which the earth will suffer famine, plagues, drought, and all the water will turn to blood, to name a few things. The Antichrist will come into power, and those who don't take his mark, the mark of the beast, number 666, on their hand or forehead, will not be allowed to buy or sell and will eventually be killed. We learn that salvation is conditional. A person could be born again, then unborn. There was predestination, the doctrine that God has only selected certain people to be born again. So if you weren't one of the chosen, no matter how much you prayed, you were going to hell. At the end of every Sunday service, Pastor Shank gave the altar call, an invitation just in case someone needed to be born again. Every head bowed, all eyes closed. Anyone, anyone, if the Lord is speaking to you, listen to his voice. We are not guaranteed tomorrow, my friend. If you die tonight and don't have Jesus, it's too late. Hell awaits you. As we sing, just as I am, I want you to slip out of your seat, walk down the aisle and join me here at the altar. I'll pray with you and you can profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As I got older, doubts about my own salvation were growing. I wanted to hang out with other kids, go to the movies, listen to the radio, be like everyone else. By the time I was age 15, I wasn't feeling saved at all. So when Pastor Shank put out the invitation, I walked the aisle to the front. I told him I wasn't really saved before, but this time I really meant it. Yes, born again, again, then baptized, again. The problem is it didn't take. No matter how much I prayed and begged God, I never felt born again. Deep down where I lived, I knew I wasn't one of the chosen, and there was nothing I could do about it. Much to my mother's dismay, I stopped going to church. After several months of absence, I was summoned before the board of deacons. My mother drove me to the church. Like Judas, she gave me up to the authorities while she waited outside. A teenage girl, I stood alone before six white men wearing white shirts, black, tie, black suits, and black ties who wanted to know why I wasn't coming to church. Clearly, I was backslidden and no longer born again. I didn't know how to tell them. I'm depressed. I have no friends because I'm a freak at school because I'm not allowed to do anything. My family has no money. I can't do things the other kids do and I just want to stay alone in my room and read. But like Jesus, I stood in silence before my accusers. A month later, I received the letter. You've been stricken from the rolls. It is 1976. 
Afraid of hell, I found the Grange First Baptist Church, Harry Ramsey, pastor. He was a factory worker with no education, but he hated sin, loved the Lord, and got a message from God to start a church. Here, I found a home. The church had a thriving, active teen program. We had potlucks, went biking, had game night. I became captain of the Bible quiz team, and not to brag, but we won the nationals that year. <laughs> Pastor and Mrs. Ramsey took me in like family. They saw me for who I was, a hurting, lonely kid. They were like parents. They drove 10 miles to pick me up for church, then took me home at night. I spent every Sunday at their house enjoying Mrs. Ramsey's fried chicken and mashed potatoes. I loved it there. I had a mother, a father, two sisters and a brother. I had a family. Here at LaGrange First Baptist, knowing that I wasn't really born again, I walked down the aisle yet another time to accept Jesus as my savior, born again, again, again. Then I got baptized a third time because when you're born again, you have to get baptized. I had a lot of questions. How could I know if I was really born again? What if I get unborn? What if I'm not predestined? Mrs. Ramsey's stock question to anything I asked was, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Close to my high school graduation, my relationship with the Ramseys became strained. They insisted I attend Bob Jones University, an unaccredited right-wing Bible institution. My senior year, an English teacher took me under her wing. We went to movies, museums, a Fleetwood Mac concert, I ate my first Chinese food ever. What a wonderful world. She drove me to Case Western Reserve University and helped me enroll. I was going to college. This is what normal life felt like and I loved it. I stopped going to church. Several months later, I was called before the Board of Deacons. Knowing what was coming, I didn't bother going. Shortly thereafter, I received a letter, your name has been stricken from the rolls. Midsummer before college started, I called the church. After a lifetime of indoctrination, I was terrified. Hell was real and I was going there. I had what turned out to be a very short conversation with Mrs. Ramsey. I told her how afraid I was and asked her if I could come back. There's nothing more we can do for you, Cheryl. And she hung up the phone. At 17, I was a lost cause.
2011. I learned the fourth UU principle, the free search for truth and meaning, the hard way. I was taking an online New Testament history course at Yale. I remember exactly what the room looked like when I learned the undeniable fact that there was a discrepancy in the Bible. It was one of life's punctuation marks. I heard Pastor Shank, if there's even one mistake in the Bible, none of it is true. Two months later, I was on the psych ward at Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital. No one knew what to do with a sobbing middle-aged woman whose presenting issue was, the Bible isn't true. So they made me a case study for graduate students. Since then, I've spent years in deconstruction from the IFB Church, and I want to share with you a few things I've learned. The gospel in original Greek means good news, and I've got some good news for you. You're not going to hell, and neither am I. Yes. Perhaps you weren't worried, but I spent most of my life living the trauma of the effects of spiritual terrorism. Here at Arlington Street, I had met so many kind, loving, compassionate, caring people. It was no longer possible for me to believe that all of you could be going to hell. It just made no sense. We were brainwashed to believe that no one outside the IFB church could be trusted. I couldn't trust my therapist. I couldn't trust Reverend Kim to counsel me. So I did the only thing I knew. I read my way out of hell. I scoured for books by Baptist ministers with different interpretations. I studied the history of hell, word translations from the Greek. I'm probably the only lay person you know who has 37 books on the topic of hell on the shelves of her library. So if you ever need to borrow anything, just let me know. More good news. We are precious to God. The one who created us loves us and calls us into relationship. Yea, 
I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I have drawn thee nigh unto me. Thou art mine. Those are not the words of a torturous monster. I can get behind that kind of God. The one who says he knows the number of hairs on my head. The Bible teaches that we are made in the image of God. When I see your beautiful faces, I don't see filthy rags. I don't see unbridled sin or the stain of unrighteousness they preached about. When I look at your faces, I see the face of God. I see glory. That's what I see. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. 30% of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. God didn't really say it. The Christian right uses Paul as a bully pulpit on so-called morality issues, marriage, homosexuality, fornicators, adulterers, all the way down to the minute details of women wearing veils in church. They hide behind Paul's prohibitions because it's much easier to get hung up on the length of a woman's skirt than it is to do what Jesus actually commanded, the hard work of feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and giving shelter to the homeless. That's the meaning of love our neighbor. Love is as love does. And it doesn't matter if you believe that Jesus was the son of God or just a rabbi. We can all ascribe to that message. You don't have to be Christian all you have to do is be a decent, moral human being. Thank you. We are hardwired for joy. I heard multiple sermons on hell, yet never once was one preached about joy, though the Bible has to say a lot about it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. David danced before the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. These things I tell you that your joy may be full. I, you see, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one can take from you. No one can take it away. The sidewalk bubble ministry and Arlington Street rubber ducky ministry of joy are simply my way of making sure that I follow biblical directives. Born again doesn't happen by coming to repentance than walking down an aisle and praying a prayer. Repentance is not telling Jesus how sorry you are for your sins. That is penance. Repentance is a positive term. The Greek word for, for repent is metanoias, and it literally means change your mind, change your thinking so deeply and profoundly that your life changes. That is repentance. That is what makes for born again, a change of mind, because when you change your mind, your life will follow. Which takes us to Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2007.
Arlington Street Church. From the moment I walked in this place, I knew there were some deep-seated problems. It was Christmas Eve and people were smiling. There was not even a shred of sadness about the baby Jesus being born to die a bloody death on the cross, nothing. I was wearing blue jeans and no one glared at me. I, I looked around to make sure, but I, I didn't see anybody. Something was wrong with these people. I entered the sanctuary and there was no cross, no tank for baptism, no Christian flag. To top it off, a woman stood in the high pulpit. I waited for the pastor to come, but she was it. This time, born again came quietly. I didn't raise my hand or walk down an aisle. No one prayed with me and I didn't get baptized. I didn't seek it out. It just came to me. That woman standing behind the pulpit, Reverend Kim Crawford Harvey, began her sermon, the very first one of hers I heard with the words, someone give me a Jesus I can believe in. God told her I was coming. Someone give me a Jesus I can believe in. She was talking to me. And it was then I knew that I was home, born again, again, but for the very last time. Grace upon grace abounds, and I am blessed beyond measure. Thank you, God. Thank you, Reverend Kim. Thank you, my beloved peeps. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. When the king comes and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne. All people will be gathered before him and he'll separate them like a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He'll place sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed, inherit the kingdom I've prepared for you. For I was hungry and you fed me. Thirsty, you gave me water. I was a stranger and you took me in. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we do this for you? The king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Then he'll tell those on his left, depart from me, ye cursed into eternal darkness. For I was hungry and thirsty, you gave me nothing. I was a stranger, you shut the door. They will ask, Lord, when did we see you and not minister to you? He will say, truly, I say to you, as you didn't do it for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for, one, for me. And he will send them into eternal darkness, but the righteous into eternal life. I was a stranger and you took me in. Thank you from the bottom of my heart.
there's one thing that I've been waiting for months and months to say. Are you ready? May the Lord God bless you real good. And let the church say, amen. <laughs> Let's keep the faith, beloveds. Pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.